You're listening to The Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network. Todd, welcome to Tech Tables. Super excited to have you on this morning. Hey, Joe. Thank you. I'm glad. So you're the CIO at Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office in Tampa, Florida. I've got a good buddy out in Tampa. I need to make it out there actually. So maybe when I make it out there, I'm gonna, I'll stop by and see you. So you're leading the charge on the way government fights against complacency, mediocrity. And I really liked this topic a lot as we were thinking about it, mainly because I coach high schoolers and I see the complacency and them always needing that push. And then in government and even sometimes in the private sector, we just get really complacent. So I, I just loved this topic of, government complacency breeds mediocrity. And you've got a pretty funny Amazon story we're going to jump into in a little bit. But before we jump into today's episode, this podcast is sponsored by Nagaro Public Sector. Nagaro Public Sector excels at helping senior technology leaders in digital disruption from cloud to AI to big data, digital product engineering to system integration work across platforms. To learn more about Nagaro, check out nagaro.com. And so on today's episode, this is going to dovetail really well. I'm working with actually Jamie Grant's team right now on, on getting their episode together. But his episode theme is running government like an entrepreneurial tech, which I love that theme. The podcast intro call you had mentioned at one point, you were so bored with your job, you started an Amazon business, which I just love. Can you maybe just talk about maybe the time before, hey, not a whole lot going on here. I'm going to go start up this side hustle and then kind of new sheriff comes into town and you're like, oh, this is great. Now it's go time. Yeah. And actually I'd say boredom wasn't really a good word for me. It was really to salvage my self-esteem. So reason being, I came from private sector and on private sector is so geared on efficiency and profitability. It's very clear. But if someone's not pulling their share of the load, they get rid of them quickly. And the people that are really banking some numbers, they reward. You know, I came from a couple of entrepreneur style shops where I was really the problem solver. I remember being dropped off of the customer site by some VPs. They take the customer to lunch and the expectation was when they got back, the, the problem better be fixed. We wrote their own software, so even when Google was a thing, I couldn't really just go Google how to solve the problem. I had to figure it out. I come to public sector and was not really prepared for what was our culture here at the time, which was very rules-based, and it wasn't even don't run with scissors rules where you can figure out what they need to be. It was the, the politics of the office extended down into the office. So 
you know, what I would before where I'd be able to learn what my boss wanted and instinctively do that. It, it was gate gated with a bunch of really nonsensical rules. Like someone needs a second monitor. They can't have a second monitor. Why not? Because we don't like them because five years ago they did this to us or it's just, it's very complex. It got to the point where I didn't feel like I could trust my instincts. And really my whole career been built on me having the gut feel instincts, knowing the right thing to do. And everything I came up with was wrong. So <clears throat> I remember thinking, man, I'm, I'm knocking on the door 40. Have I lost it? Maybe I just don't know what my instincts are. So on the weekend, I was just putzing around and came across uh, these, um, this company that was selling like shelf poles, retail lots. Uh, you could buy a case of them. I think it was 500 bucks. So just on Lark, I ordered it and I came across this whole ecosystem of selling online, started with eBay and then on Amazon and, you know, it really resonated with me because then it was nothing but my instincts. I never really sold online, uh, not really sold in retail period, but let alone online and competed on the global marketplace and had to account for the accounting and the sales tax and the structure. And I just, it really helped me because I was able to start with 500 bucks, build that business into a six figure. I think I was grossing 385,000 when I got rid of the business in three or four years. And it was just purely based on what I felt was the right thing to do. And, and not that I'm the smartest guy in the world, but it helped me realize that my thinking's not wrong. I'm just in a really weird culture where what I think is right is not right. And really I saw that when I started here, I was supervising my staff. And the first week I started, one of the server admins came by and said, hey, I'm gonna go talk to a user because they're having problems printing. Okay, we'll see you. And then network guy came by and said, hey, we got a switch down in the gel, we're gonna go replace it. Okay. And I, I finally asked him, me, why are you guys telling me this? Because we have to tell you where we're going. What do you mean? If we leave our desk, we have to tell you where we're going. Why aren't you going to go do work? Yeah, but we still have to tell you. Okay, well, cut that out. So if you're leaving to not work, then you need to tell me. Otherwise, if you're doing your job, don't tell me. But the culture was, it was all rules-based. And so all the employees, all the employees I worked with were unable to come up with creative solutions or really use their talents to solve problems because there's this complex myriad of rules that they had to follow. So I'd start Amazon business to save my sanity <clears throat> and my self-esteem is, is really the short answer for that. I love that story so much because I'm an entrepreneur right now. I run a small business. So really funny. I don't really have any like employees, but my wife, she's so funny. She will tell me every little thing, whether it's a school with the kids in school or I ask her to, hey, could you help me do something with the podcast on the back end? And yeah, I, I you don't need to yeah. tell me. <laughs> I, not that I don't care, but you are empowered yeah. to go make the decision. I, I've come across this with, in a couple organizations where it's fascinating where, where there is like that rule-based culture and it's not one person, it seeps into everything. And when you run... And I love this kind of mid six figure business that you had selling online, accounting, sales tax. There, there's probably so many things you don't want to do that you have to end up running. I'm a small creator who happens to be in business. And it's pretty funny because I'm like, dang, I didn't sign up for this, but quarterly taxes are due next week. Oh, yeah. You're like, I didn't sign up for any of this. Uh, I just want to like, post some podcasts and <laughs> try and make a living. It's pretty funny. But yeah, you, you get creative. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you get creative. And and so what would you say is maybe 
the top one to two lessons you learned from running your own shop that you're, that you're using today? If you had to pick one or two. I, I learned that people in general can do way more than they probably think they can and probably more than we think they can. If people, if their gifts are aligned with their opportunity, it's almost limitless. And probably the worst thing a leader can do is to box someone in that they can make some solid contributions, but you don't let them do it in their way. So it's an outcome-based leadership, which is really the leadership that the sheriff has shown here. He just throws out a big dream on the board. I want to do this. And then he walks away. He doesn't say this has to be this and you better do this and use this person. He just throws it out there and then lets the people do their work. And I think when we go into a rule rules-based environment, then we shortchange ourselves. And another lesson I learned is Man, the Jetsons lied to us. So I love telling this analogy. Anyone that watched the Jetsons cartoons growing up, what did all the robots do? They did things like brush our teeth, make our food, get us dressed. And the Jetsons, George Jetson and his boss went and did the white collar jobs. They did the thinking and the math and the intellectual stuff. If you look now, we're doing all the blue collar jobs for the most part for ourselves. And the computers are doing all the math and science and decision making. So I learned the importance in that job of making the computers and the software work for me, not vice versa. A lot of times we had systems here that thankfully we replaced most of them, but it felt like we were making an offering like a budget time. We had to go take data offline and work on spreadsheets and do manual calculations and all these crazy tasks. And then we would upload our budget to the budget lords and the software and hope our sacrifice was accepted. If not, it got spit out rather than, the computer is doing the work for us and calculating, and we just set the direction we want. So I the success of my Amazon business was on my selection and implementation of tools that automated the business for me because I couldn't work on that Monday through Friday. You know, I had a full-time job. So I had to find tools that would do sales tax and would do repricing and inventory forecasting and reordering and just make those computers work for me. 90% of the work was done by software based on my parameters. And really, that's how I try to do things in our division is just set my parameters and let the work be done as it needs to be done. Oh man, that is gold that you just dropped right there. I, I love what you said first about, you're talking about, I think like leadership is, and I'm just pulling this out, but having the vision to see what people are capable of before they even believe it in themselves is I think the hallmark yeah. of the best leaders or coaches on the planet. Yeah. I'm actually given a presentation. I think it's maybe in like August, but it's, it's called the title is behind the mic lessons from my first 100 episodes. And one of the lessons I have from all of the CIOs and folks I've talked to is number one is like, they have a different vision for people and for their team. And it's not a rule-based mm -hmm. culture. And it sounds like it's a fluffy kind of thing, but the trap is that some leaders love control so much that they don't allow their team the freedom to actually step in and make decisions. And it just, it holds you back big time. In my opinion, a place with excessive rules has a mission or vision problem. And, and by that, either your staff doesn't understand your mission and your values and your uh, vision, or it's one that they can't get on board with. Because so many of the things we make rules for are just common sense and it's ridiculous that we have to make a rule for it. And, and I remember when, you know, we had a sudden change in leadership in the CIO position. I was notified the afternoon before when the previous CIO was no longer with the company. 
And I remember the sheriff and the chief came out to talk to uh, the IT division and the sheriff or the chief asked me, she said, what do you need? Do you guys need training? Do you know, what do we need to make you successful? And I said, we don't need anything because all I have to do is walk in that room and tell everybody, hey, all that stuff that you know to do, that you weren't allowed to do, go do that. I said, we're done because I don't have a bunch of staff that don't know how to take care of the users and don't know how to solve problems. I have a bunch of staff that don't know how to do that within the rules and the culture that we have created here, and they're scared to do anything on their own. But I told her, I said, much when you see those horrible videos on the news of abused animals, you'll see them put them in crates and take them out to a field. <clears throat> Watch what the animals do. Not all of them take off out of the crates when you open the door. Some of them take off and run through the grass and they're happy and free. Some of them stay in that crate and they're petrified to leave that crate because that's all they know. I said, not that our employees are animals, but we're going to have a lot of the same process where the people that have learned to survive and really keep their job in a culture like that, it's going to take some coaxing and some reassuring and some confidence building to get them to come out of that crate. For some people, you'll never see them in that crate again. So it's going to be a culture change, but it just starts with saying everyone in the room is here for a reason. You know what to do. Go do it. And, and so we stripped out, let me grab my vision card. We canceled every single rule and directive and process, spoken and unspoken, that we had in our division on that day. Rules we had were the ones that were our uh, executive leadership required a, uh, an approval. But we passed out these cards that had values on them. And we said, we support men and women that enforce the law. And they wear a heavy gun belt. And the two heaviest things on that belt are their cuffs and their gun, right? Because the cuffs have the power to take away liberty. The gun has power to take away life. And they don't have a rule for when they can use all of those. They have general guidelines, but they have to make decisions on their own. And they're told in the academy, you need to be able to articulate to a reasonable person why you did what you did. Basically, that's what covers it. So we're going to function the same way. We have this list of values. We're not going to tell you how to do your job. Every decision you make has to align with our values. You need to be able to articulate to another person who's reasonable with these values why you did what you did and as long as you make decisions based on that you will not get in trouble i'll back whatever you do but you have to make your decisions for the right reason and half the staff took off and just exploded the other half have slowly got there we'll sometimes regress but it's our productivity and creativity shot through the roof because by being the overlord and setting the rules all 101 employees can never be smarter or more creative than me but by stripping all that out, every one of them are smarter and more creative than me. And I just get to set direction for it. So it was a huge culture change that I swore would never happen here that he walked in. And, and really, if you, it was so much less work than the previous mechanism. And yeah, so much more productive. Anyway, sorry, you, you triggered one of my buttons that got me going. For oh, I love that. That's so good. I was thinking about this. You can't have growth and comfort. If you're in the cage, yeah. it's going to be comfortable. But if the door's open and you just love comfort, you're probably not going to leave. And yeah. that's just, I don't know what to say. You can't have both. You, you've got to pick one. You want comfort or yeah. you want growth. So exactly. you had this, another really great thing that stood to me on our call was government is like a golf course. It breeds uniformity. Could you maybe just talk about where, where did that come from? And maybe just a little bit more context around, around uh, government like a golf course. Yeah, it, it took me a while to figure out when I got here because it's really frustrating to me and I like to say it's just a, a, a challenge we're overcoming internally, or maybe it's just a Florida thing or Hillsborough County, but every government person I talk to, this resonates with them. And that is in private sector, if they're profitable and you're really focused on driving growth, 
every employee is really more like a rose bush. So the, the business will make sure that they prune and fertilize and grow in water to get the maximum bloom out of that rose bush because they're being measured by their shareholders on bottom line. So you either need to have growth, recurring revenue, profitability, there's someone looking for that measure. Most government agencies, because of the way the carrots and the sticks are set up, they're looking for uniformity. So once a week, a lawnmower goes across the grass. And if your blade of grass sticking way up, so you're on the your uniform length. If your blade of grass sticking below, the mower passes right over you because they're looking for you uniformly, consistency. It's all equality and equity as far as in jobs. And the rules are really structured so that it really forces most employees into the middle because on the one side, the punitive, most government offices, agencies are set up where it is extremely difficult to get rid of a bad employee. Asking around, I've heard anything from three months to a year. And this isn't an employee that's embezzling or committing a crime. This is an employee that's habitually late or the employee that just doesn't get their work done. There's so many steps and so much time required that one of two things happen. Either they just try to pass them off to another division because it takes too much time, or it's a serious um, productivity sink to have to spend that time to get rid of the employee. So there's a bottom that if you have an employee that's not interested in being a high performer, they find that bottom. And if they're smart, they can stay just above that bottom for 30 years and they're untouched. On the top side, you have the uh, superstars, the rock stars that come in and just high output, outwork everybody, just doing as much as they can. There's no mechanism in government to reward those employees. Most of the time, their increase each year, there's like a percentage or two spread between that guy bouncing off the bottom and that guy that's going to reach the moon. And a lot of them will do it just out of their drive, but there's really nothing to incentivize those people to really be the best they can be. Some private sector places, if you are a rock star and you want to just work your heart out, they'll reward you for that because there's profitability, there's money attached. But in government, there's not really going to be that reward for bouncing off the top. As long as you stay above the bottom, you're not going to get fired. And that just forces everybody to be in the middle without some kind of external force. And again, I, I see that everywhere. Everybody I've talked to re recites that same challenge. How do you, I know you can't maybe do anything about the past or people maybe you inherit, but when you're interviewing people, what do you look for so you don't hire people that are just off the bottom? How, how do you, any tips for any other CIOs who probably have the same challenge with that? Yeah, that's a great question. And really the, the thing I mentioned or didn't mention is the, the only thing that leads you is to motivate people based on a mission, based on what they're doing. If you can connect with them where that they believe in what they're doing and they're not, they acknowledge or accept the fact they're not really doing it to get rich and they want to contribute and feel good about what they do. If you can reach people at that level, because usually I've always said no one is born and grows up saying, I want to be a mediocre employee for the rest of my life. And that's not some place that most people want to pull. So they're there for a reason. And a lot of times it's for the aforementioned rules where they just give up. I'll find everything I do is just wrong. I'm just going to do exactly what you tell me to do, which is a curse that government has to fight. But for us, we look for those people where it, it resonates as a passion. Most of the time, the employees that we seem to attract are the ones that have been doing They've been on that treadmill, so they're doing extensive traveling, they're working their tail off, they're just, they're contributing and doing what they can. Most of them, like myself, came up through a dot-com era or entrepreneur era where they were promised stock options or some piece of the company, and then, you know, they either had my experience or those stock options were diluted by someone who bought their way into the board or the CEO takes off, he cashes out, you never promised that. And they've seen, I remember, 
thinking about how much time I miss on my kids' life, weekends and sporting events, just because I believe those could be part of something big. And then when that disappeared, feeling like an idiot. So we do great at capturing those people that say, look, you can come here and work your tail off if that's who you are and really contribute and come up with insightful things. And our sheriff will not get a penny out of that. And being in IT, it probably won't even get him reelected. So you're just doing it because it's the right thing to do, because you feel grateful for the men and women that keep you safe. I tell the deputies frequently, I wake up every morning in my bed expecting my family to be safe. And I go to work and I expect to come home and all my stuff is right where I left. That's my expectation. And whether I'm out of town for a week or that's Christmas day or midnight, I expect that to happen. And that comes with a price. So this is my way of paying back a debt I could never repay and trying to make their lives a little bit easier, a little bit more efficiently. When we connect with people on that level or they believe in the mission of the office. And that's another thing that, that Sheriff Chronister has made recruiting so much easier for me because the most often used recruiting tool that I've used to pull people in We'll never compete. We'll never compete on salary. I don't really have bonuses. The benefits benefits pale in comparison when someone can make thirty thousand somewhere else. What pulls them in is when I talk about what the sheriff is doing for community issues. And this may be a good segue to start talking about his leadership style, if you don't mind, because it's on the same keep, same page. But I had I had never even heard of Sheriff Chad Croster until I started seeing him internally as a major. I never worked with him. He's on the other side of the county, knew nothing about him. And he started saying things and doing things that caught my attention. And I thought, yeah, it's coming up on the election, but just for a certain purpose. But I started seeing him living that out and never wavering. And he started saying things like when immigration was a hot topic, he caught flack for refusing to do citizenship checks when they would go on the calls. And he said, the reason is I'm everybody's sheriff. So he said, I'm not going to put barriers between anyone who lives in Hillsborough County or is in Hillsborough County from receiving law enforcement services that they deserve. And then you change the mission statement. Most uh, law enforcement agencies are mission statements, some variation of to protect and serve. But the sheriff changed ours. Our mission is to serve and protect and defend the community while preserving the rights and dignity of all. And so all is pretty inclusive. And if you think about the sheriff codifying that our job is to preserve not only your rights, but your dignity, that that spells out exactly what I've seen done in the community, and I've seen that internally as employees. And part of that stripping out those rules and let people just be their best is really restoring their dignity. There's nothing more demoralizing for me as a professional than having my intuition and my experience stripped out and being forced to follow a bunch of rules. So I started seeing this message everywhere. And then one of the things he did, getting back to my point, is we derived some proceeds from inmates in our detention facility when they purchase commissary items, chips and soda and stuff. It's very regulated. We can't spend it on anything that we want and we can't use it for the inmates' basic needs, but we can use it to make them lives easier. So two or three years ago, the sheriff directed staff to reach out to the community and say, hey, what jobs you struggle with filling that you wouldn't mind hiring someone with a misdemeanor record? Nonviolent, bouncing checks, shoplifting, whatever. What would you be willing to be a little gracious on that? And came up with a list of jobs where they're continually struggling with hiring people. And that was things like hairdressing, cosmetology, forklift operator, warehouse operator. You can think of a bunch of those jobs. And so he took that money and built a huge vocational center and brought in certified teachers from area schools to teach. I think we're up to 67 different uh, certifications. 
And so if you're an inmate at our facility, you can attend that certification for free. And even if you get released before it's done, you can still attend on the outset for free. And you can get ASC certified, you can get a variety of things, because he recognized that if we just house individuals who run afoul of the, of the law and then don't give them a way to support themselves when they get out, they're going to be back. And most of us know, uh, if we've ever applied for a job, that having a criminal history of any type can boot you out of most of the jobs. So he provided, at really no cost to the taxpayers, a mechanism for these people to really change their lives. And that's a generational change. You know, if that one person can break out of that mold of reoffending because they have to support their family, that changes lives. So that single fact has done more to recruit top-tier technical professionals than anything in our compensation package. Because who wouldn't want to work for an organization where you're doing stuff like that? You're not just administering a database, you're working for the sheriff's office. And let me tell you about the vocational program. It's proud, it's a circle life where we're proud to be here about what we're doing in an area that has nothing to do with technology. And we have a float in the LGBTQ parade every year. The sheriff's office has a float that the sheriff rides on. We pass out beads. We have a Hispanic advisory council, an Indian uh, advisory council, LGBTQ advisory council. There's literally no people group, whether they self-identify or you're born that way uh, with identification, that we don't interact with and uh, going back to the mission statement, preserve their rights and their dignity. And that's a heck of a story when you're trying to recruit against other companies. Do you want to go make staplers or do you want to work for a sheriff's office that changes people's lives? Yeah, yeah. No, I love that. I love the gener generational change piece of folks coming out. Yeah, if, if you get some good skills, you move from maybe you start out and you're cutting hair. And, and then if the quality of your cuts are really good, then pretty soon people just come find you. Yeah, I get my haircut done for the podcast. And I've got some people that look nothing like me. And I, and it's just, I'm like, I love the quality of your cuts and they love it. It's just, it's like probably the greatest honor is, yeah. is just if you do your job really well. Most people won't care and they will seek you out, and, which is great. And yeah. the sheriffs, at least in the sheriff's department, you know, I actually interact with a, a few sheriffs because I coach high school basketball. And when there are home games that are very heated, you can imagine their okay. sheriffs are on campus. Even, I think we even have two dedicated at all times on the high school campus just to make sure that there's nothing going on. But it's been like a great relationship yep. builder in the community where you can bridge kids who maybe have a different perspective or they just grew up in a different environment and you can bridge with folks, whether it's the school administrators, sheriffs, whatever. Yeah. I love the mission. I love the work. Just to transition a little bit. You had this, I was reading a post that you had, maybe it's like a little less than a year ago, where you attended this virtual session where Jamie Grant was speaking and you were pretty skeptical of him coming on board of all of that. And, and I love the honesty of this. You said that yeah. and you asked him a, a pointy question, but it wasn't, they didn't list what the question was. I was wondering if you remember what that question was. Yeah, you think I would have learned after seeing the, the sheriff completely change the culture and get things done. But when Jamie came on the scene, I was just back to my cynical, skeptical stuff. And I'm like, hey, dude, great hair. He sounds like you have great intentions, but not going to happen. Because Florida really has an embarrassing track record when it comes to IT and cybersecurity. Pitiful when you look at we're the third largest state in the country. And yeah, it's rough. 
So Jamie Grant was talking about all these changes he was going to make, and I never heard of him before either. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's never going to happen. But and the question was at the time, especially all the sheriff's offices, we were under CJIS security rules, and CJIS is really privacy protection rules that the FBI put in place to protect criminal information. So it governs criminal records, criminal information, and makes sure it's protected really from a privacy standpoint. So it's more like a HIPAA than a a security audit, but every agency is required to pass those audits to continue to have access to that data. And that's the data that tells us when we stop a guy for speeding that he's wanted for murder in Kansas or he's got warrants elsewhere, it's vital information. So that CJIS team that was in place really held a, a, their, a tight grip on what could be done for a technology standpoint. And just one single example, the FBI made allowances for cloud-based computing in 2012. So they said, hey, cloud's a thing, it's coming. We don't want to make a bunch of rules, going back to my effective leadership. They just said, we'll provide like a risk-based framework and then do what you need to do. It wasn't until 2019, seven years later, before a Florida agency could use any part of the cloud. And even then, it was only Microsoft. It required separate approval through the government body that handles sieges. And it did not include uh, a lot of things like OneDrive, and it's like a small piece of it. So when he came in and talked about the things that's going to change, I'm thinking it took us seven years to adopt a portion of what the FBI allowed nationally. It's never going to happen. So the question I asked him is, how are you going to do all the stuff you're talking about with CJIS compliance? Because that was the elephant in the room. And, and they ran that question, and I saw him. He looked down at his desk for a second. He smirked when they looked up, and he said, as a representative, because Jamie was a, a state representative before, he said, I became aware of some of the challenges with CJIS, and something, I don't remember the exact words, but the paraphrase, basically, he knew that was a challenge, and he was going to address it. And uh, lo and behold, CJIS has improved in some of the rules, and he's able, been able to get some changes through, which, going back to entrepreneurship, if I could have custom ordered a cyborg to affect change in Florida from a, a cybersecurity and IT standpoint, it would be someone who is 50% legislator and 50% entrepreneur because he's got one foot in the land of legislation, which I don't pretend to understand. I just know it takes a lot of people to agree with you before you get anything done, which is not my jam. And it also requires someone that can see not just where you are now and not where you could be in three years, but that that what it could look like. And that entrepreneur, the I, can we do this, can we do that, just never satisfied, always looking for something better. And Jamie is, from what I can tell, 50-50 on both of those. He's He has the respect, it seems, of the governor and the cabinet. He can get stuff done with some of the partners and the representative. And he thinks and talks like an entrepreneur. He's high energy. He's He seems like he would not be satisfied with just mediocre, my impression of him. And like I said, I couldn't have asked for a better ally at the state level to get that done. And, and really, he is an ally. The state is separate. I work for a constitutional officer. In the world of cybersecurity, we're all connected. So as long as the state is dragging the rear from a cybersecurity standpoint, that puts me and everyone I support at risk and everyone I work with. So I'm thrilled having someone like Jamie in that position for however long we're going to be able to keep them making those changes. And I told him I had to eat my hat. He spoke at the conference about a month ago and he rattled off several things he accomplished and three of them were first. And they weren't like we landed on the moon first. They were things that I think most people would assume Florida was already doing and shame on us for not doing it. But 
kudos to Jamie Grant for being able to stand up there and say, hey, we're able to, for the first time, do X and do Y and do Z. So I think he's going to get it done. And with some of the local governments really making a push to protect ourselves and be modern and think more entrepreneur, that's whole, all part of the really the smart city movement is. None of that's really like man on the moon kind of technology. It's stuff that private sector did 10 years ago, but now we're going to do it and, and be proud of it. But really stuff that citizens should expect, should expect, but it's all part of such a paradigm shift that it's going to take government a while to get there to where they can operate like that. Yeah, I love that. The never being satisfied and hungry. Yeah, you, you can just see it on people. They just have a look in their eyes. It's just like killer instinct, killer look. I've seen it on a couple of my basketball players where not everyone has it, but the guys who do have it and the game is on the line, are like, I need you to take over. And, and whether that's defensively or offensively, but yeah. in entrepreneurship too, you, you, you see it. I see it with, I get invited to a lot of conferences. And one of the things that, that I see right now is it's, there's the same kind of model. I just started noticing this. I was talking to my wife about this, where it's like out of Hilton and it's out of Marriott. And I'm like, how? My question is, how can we disrupt this? I'm like, eh, it's kind of cookie cutter. I don't know. It's the same. People get up, they speak, they step down. How do we How do we build more community into us? How do we make it more personal? How do we make it something where people are like galvanized and want to go? And so actually, I started running these live podcast events. So actually... I've got a few coming up on April 21st. I'll be in Phoenix. Mm -hmm. So I've got Arizona, State CIO, JR Sloan, I think 10 other really awesome folks. So we're going to run a live podcast event there. And the kind of the, what my wife and I came up with was, what if we rent out a presidential suite and we just make it a great experience? This is what I love. Oh, yeah. We make it a great experience. People will come and it'll work out. And it's one of those things too. And I love it. And I'm sure you get this being an having that entrepreneurial side. And Jamie gets this being an entrepreneur is like, you've always got to take the first step. And a lot of times people are terrified to take the first step. Like right now, if you go to my website, you're going to see probably I've got three live events. You'll probably see close to 40 people. When I first launched it, there was two people on that page, which is pretty funny on my podcast page. And it was J.R. Yeah. Sloan, he committed, and then Mandy Crawford, she committed. And that's just how it starts. And then you're like, all right, we're going to build this. And soon, then the thing blows up, sells out. And so we're doing Phoenix on April 21st, doing Austin on May 18th, which I'm I am hoping, this is my surprise. My surprise guest is supposed to be Jamie Grant. I am announcing it now because this episode will not be live by April 21st. So nobody will know that Jamie Grant uh, might make an appearance. So I don't think this episode will be released till May. And then I've got Raleigh on July 22nd. And so I think I've, I've some other, I'm working some other dates. I think I got Milwaukee. There might be one in Florida. Uh, Florida's like California where it's so big, where people are like, hey, are you coming to California? I'm like, oh, I live in California, but you got San Diego, LA, yeah. Sacramento other parts of the bay i'm like this thing is huge and i'm only one person so anyways if anyone's interested you can always reach out to me at joe at techtables.com if you want me to host a live podcast event in your city but i love disruption i love the being hungry also you had mentioned that the 50 percent kind of entrepreneur and 50 percent legislator and it's 
I think that's it. I think that's really what you need is you need to be able to move fast, make those changes, but also navigate, figure out how to give money, talk to people, put it in terms. I heard a great story from a Tim Romer, who's the CISO for the state of Arizona. One of the ways they framed getting kind of budget for cybersecurity was you would ask them, hey, how are you measuring this? And so they said, what they did was they, I forget like the exact metric, but they basically framed it like a credit score where they broke it up into these different ranges and said, this is like a credit score for people like me to understand, hey, here's where you're at in this bucket. Here's where you're at in this bucket. And everyone's, oh, I understand. Oh, okay. So our score is like 550. That's not good. Like you understand that. And then you go out get the money and do do whatever you need to do move the ball forward. Yep. It's all about being relatable to your business. So that's what makes Jamie so effective. It's his business is the governor and the House of Representatives and the Senate. He understands that business because he came from that business. Yeah, that's very important yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah. As we're, I know we're coming down the, the tail end. What would you say is like your most fulfilling part of, of your job? I You hinted across it with the mission piece and that, that might be it. But if you just want to maybe wrap up this with that, your kind of most fulfilling part of your job. Yeah, I think at a high level, being part of the change that's happened, it's our sheriff's office is unrecognizable from five years ago. This interview would never be happening five years ago because there were rules. I couldn't talk to the media. I couldn't speak on behalf of the sheriff's office. I saw an IT manager almost get fired because a vendor talked about an install they did at our site because it was all rules. And yet the sheriff about a year ago, speaking to the command staff, said, you're all the sheriff's office. You represent the sheriff's office. Go out and speak to whoever you, whatever circles you run in. Being part of something that not only is amazing, but I can tell other people about, that's great. I have a big window in my office that faces a parking lot, which sounds pretty crappy, but it's a parking lot of a district office. So every day, all day, I get to watch deputies in uniform, plain clothes, walking out to their cars, just go about their life. And, and that motivates me because I live in Hillsborough County. And so from an IT standpoint, I think if I can save, if I can knock off one second, from a deputy's daily task times 2,800 sworn individuals, that's a lot of time. And maybe with that time, they'll have time to do more proactive things or go shoot basketball with kids or go speak at a, a retirement home or do something benefits the community. So for me to be able to direct, to do things that would directly benefit me, that's super fulfilling. And just the change in culture, it's been, you know, I worked here without being a CIO for what, 10 years probably? And not only did I experience the rules base, I, get, I got to see a lot of really bright and talented people struggle with their self-esteem, their productivity, just life in general because of the way the environment was. So I've got to see some of those folks just explode. We had a, a field tech that was always on the verge of being fired because he would get the user what they needed and violate the rules. And I remember countless times in me and I'm talking about, can you guess what I did this time? And I laugh at anything. So to watch that guy go to being almost like an Oprah with a, you get a car, you get a car. You know, he's, he's giving users new keyboards, replacing their monitors, just stuff that has very little financial impact and we need to do anyway, but it's just doing amazing things for the perception of IT. We had people that were, there's no such thing as internal promotion here before, for the most part. So we had people that were working to help that shop for 12 years with five or six certifications. And so to watch them explode from a help desk starting level position one of our top tier positions just overnight. That's been extremely gratifying for me, which 
is really just watching people be their best, which is my whole mission here. It's been very rewarding just by all aspects. I love that. And where can people find you online? LinkedIn, Twitter? Do you have- I gave up after Facebook. <laughs> I have something on Twitter, but Instagram, TikTok, I just, yeah, uh, that's, I'm not on that. But LinkedIn, I try to get it on quite a bit. So I show up on LinkedIn. I try to make it to any of the conferences in town or the virtual conferences or, yeah. I love it. Maybe we'll do, maybe we'll do a live event in Tampa. Maybe that'll be a stop on the Tech Table Sweet Talk series. Yeah. And if you'll make sure Jamie Grant attends, tell him I said he's a bureaucrat. I am going, I actually have to email and respond to his assistant. And I'm going to say this in the email right after this podcast. I'm going to say, all these questions, you guys, bureaucratic, too slow. This is what Todd Ryan's saying right now. Cut the rules. Time to get fast. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate it, Todd. I had a ton of fun. And um, thank you for coming on Tech Tables. Absolutely. Thank you. You're listening to the Public Sector Show by Tech Tables, a podcast dedicated to sharing human-centric stories from CIOs and technology leaders across the city, county, state, and federal agencies, joining in the conversation and touching the hearts and minds of leaders across technology today. From mission-driven leadership to cloud, AI to cybersecurity, workforce challenges, and more, never miss insights from peers and vendor partners across the public sector. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to techtables.com and drop your email to subscribe. New podcast episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, along with weekly behind-the-mic newsletter. And one of today's podcast sponsors is Tech Tables Plus, an engaging new community where you can have early access to never-before-released episodes, early access to live event recordings, early access to weekly three interesting learnings, early access to live event ticket purchases, no episode ads, and more, plus three extra special bonuses when you sign up today. Bonus number one, access to the CEO show. Bonus number two, access to the Higher Ed Show. And bonus number three, access to the Digital Show. Join Tech Tables Plus today. As always, thank you for supporting the Tech Tables Network.